I'll give you a minute to find it. I'm reading from John chapter 8, starting at verse 12, which is on page 1073 in Church Bibles. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading. Do please keep that passage open and uh, let's just pray, shall we, again. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, these words of Jesus. Please, Lord God, would, they, would we understand their significance and in fact, by your Holy Spirit, would these words take up residence in our hearts this morning and always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost every society 
um, through almost every period of history, has believed that there is a God or gods. It's really hard to explain the beauty and the complexity of our world if there isn't a creator. Our human souls tell us that this life, this world that we can see and hear and touch, it can't be all there is. You only need to go to a funeral or or, or see a parent uh, with with their small child or see how people treat their pets or the natural world more generally to see that we know instinctively that this world is not all there is. Even many scientists find that the more they study the world, the more they find they can't explain it by random chance alone. There must be a God or gods. The really big questions, though, the really big questions are the ones that are at the top of your outline and coming up on the screen. How do we know God? And how do we get to be with him? Pretty much everyone agrees that there must be a God or gods, but how do we know him, what he's like? And how do we get to be with him? They're the questions that Jesus is answering through John's gospel, and his own answer is very simple. What is it? It's me, he says. It's through me that we get to know God and we get to be with him. It's a bold, brave, direct answer that Jesus gives time and again in different ways through John's Gospel. You want to know God? You want to get to be with God? Then come to me, he says. And I guess it's not surprising that people reacted against those big, bold claims that he made. It's not surprising, they were sceptical, they tested his claims, many of them didn't believe him and they opposed him. And it's just the same today, Monique was sharing with us the opposition, the persecution that Christian believers uh, experience throughout the world. Last Sunday I was speaking to a visitor um, here at church who, um, who said something like this, he said, I believe that there's a God but I'm sceptical about any of the specific religious claims about him whether that's the claims of the Bible or of the Quran or any other organised religion. And I asked him these two questions that we're thinking about today. How do you think we get to know God? And how do you think we get to be with him? And his answer was, well, I basically live a good life and hopefully that will be enough. And I think that's the answer lots of people give, isn't it? I live a good life. I hope that will be enough. But the big, bold claims of Jesus are very unsettling because they challenge that kind of agnostic complacency, if I can call it that. Jesus' claims question whether we are good enough for God and they force us to decide what we make of him. We saw one of Jesus' big, bold claims last week when he said in chapter 7, verse 37, can you see there, page uh, 1072, halfway through verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Today, we see two more of Jesus' big, bold claims in verse 12 and in verse 21. And let me just say at this point that we'll come back and look at the chunk in italics, the first part of chapter 8, in two weeks' time. And I'll say then um, uh, why I don't think it belongs here in John's Gospel, but it's still worth looking at. So let's look down at Jesus' big, bold claim uh, in chapter 8, verse 12. Can you see there? Let's read it again with those questions in mind. How do we know God's? How do we get to be with him? Here's one of the big, bold ways Jesus answers it. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So then our first heading. Jesus says, I am the light of the world follow me. We've seen the idea of light already in John's Gospel. Some of you saw it in home groups this last week, looking at John chapter 1. And that passage sends us right back to the very first chapter of the whole Bible, um, where we hear that in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, He's claiming to be the divine creator, the one who enlightens and gives life to all the world. But there's more to it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, follow me. And so we're looking for a light that we can follow, that we can go places with. This wider section of John's Gospel is loaded with imagery from the Exodus. That is the foundational rescue event in the Old Testament that established God's people, the Israelites, through their rescue from slavery in Egypt as they came through the wilderness into the Promised Land. And we looked at some of the Exodus story um, last year. You can listen back to those sermons on the website. In John chapter 6, Jesus made the big, bold claim that I am the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven. He was taking the Exodus story of God's miraculous gift of manna in the wilderness, and he's saying that he is that bread, symbolically speaking. We need to feed on him by faith to be kept going through the wilderness of this present age. Last week, we've seen it already, Merv showed us um, Jesus' big, bold call, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. A claim that just as God miraculously gave the Israelites water from a rock in the wilderness, that was pointing ahead to Jesus himself. And so now when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we're meant to think of the pillar of fire that the Israelites followed through the wilderness to the promised land. You want to know God? You want to be with him in his place forever? Then follow Jesus, just as the Israelites followed that blazing pillar of fire through the wilderness to the promised land. 
Are you following? Alongside the big, bold claims of Jesus in John's Gospel, we see the scepticism and often the outright hostility of the religious leaders of the day. Last week, we saw the scorn of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Do you remember? A prophet doesn't come from Galilee. Today, similar scepticism. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Why on earth should we believe you? I guess it's a fair question. I hope we don't believe every crackpot that claims to be God's. But Jesus' reply challenges them to look closer. He's not an ignorant madman. Verse 14, he answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. And then in verse 17, in your law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They answer with scorn, I think, where is your Father? And Jesus says, verse 19, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The Pharisees want someone to vouch for Jesus, to confirm he is who he says he is. I get asked to vouch for people from time to time. Um, Twice this past week, uh, I was asked to vouch for someone's passport application. But to vouch for God the Son, the light of the world... You need someone even more respectable than the rector of St. Anne's Limehouse. Jesus calls on the best witnesses that he can produce himself, God the Son, and his Father in heaven. Now, maybe we're not fully satisfied with that answer. But it's the one Jesus gives time and again in John's Gospel. He keeps returning to this question of his own identity and his relationship with his Father in heaven. We'll keep seeing these things as we work our way through John's Gospel. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of relationship is he claiming? On the basis of all we see and hear from him, is it credible? He's building up an interlocking case for himself through these various big, bold claims and the signs that he does to support them. We have to decide whether we'll believe him. The next big, bold claim comes in verse 21. Have a look down again, verse 21. It's not the same kind of obvious symbol here, like bread from heaven or light of the world. But he says, verse 21, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. My summary You cannot come with me, says Jesus. You will die in your sin. 
We need to take this big, bold claim together with the one that we've just been looking at. Jesus is the light that we need to follow to get to the promised land. But crucially, now he says to the religious leaders who are so sceptical about him, actually, they aren't going to be able to follow him. They're not going to get to the promised land. That is to be with God forever. They, like the wilderness generation in Exodus, will not believe in him. And therefore, they will die in the wilderness in their sins. You see, we don't automatically get to heaven. That's what we love to think, isn't it? It's how we comfort one another at funerals. He's gone to a better place. She's free from all her troubles now. It might sound comforting. It might feel like the right thing to say. But Jesus says that not everyone will follow him. The penalty for sin is death. And just like the Israelites in the wilderness, many will die in their sins and not reach the promised land. Again, the Jewish leaders object. And let me just say as an aside that when John's Gospel says the Jews, as it does in verse uh, 22, he doesn't mean uh, that no Jews can be saved by Jesus. John himself is Jewish, so is Jesus. When we come to the Jews uh, quote in John's Gospel, we need to have that in mind. He's using it as shorthand for the Jewish religious establishment as a whole, even if individual Jews do actually respond rightly to him. So in verse 22, the objection, the Jews, the religious establishment, ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? Shows complete incomprehension. Maybe it's deliberate, sarcastic lack of understanding. Will he kill himself? No, it's not Jesus that's going to die here or not kill himself in that sense. He's the light of life, for goodness sake. No, they are the ones. They are the ones who are going to die in their sins. Jesus' answer explains what he means when he says they cannot go where he is going. Verse 23, just over the page there, can you see? He says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. You see what he's doing there? Jesus takes the kind of horizontal story of the Exodus about the journey through the wilderness into the promised land. And he then uses it to tell the bigger vertical story of getting to be with God above. Right from the beginning of John's Gospel, we've been told that God the Son was with God the Father in the beginning and that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us here on earth. Jesus is from above and he's going back to be with his Father above. And it's only by believing in him, being united with him by faith, that we get to go with him into his Father's presence in the new creation above. Again, the Jews ask a question. In the last part, it was, where's your father? Now it's, who are you? 
And again, his answer is given in relation to his father. Verse 25. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. What I've heard from him I tell the world. Verse 27. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. And so he closes this little section by telling them about the event that would offer life the event that would deal with their sins, the event that would ultimately reveal his identity to anyone who's willing to see it. Verse 28. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, That phrase is deliberately ambiguous. He's used it already back in chapter 3 where he talked about Moses lifting up the snake on the pole in the wilderness. Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross, apparently humiliated and dead. But that same lifting up that is full of shame and death is ironically the moment of greatest glory that brings life. Brings life to anyone who will receive it. This is our only hope if we want to make it through the wilderness of the present age and get to be with God in the promised land above. That's why Jesus says, back in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. John's Gospel takes it as read, I think, that there is a God. But the crucial questions are, how do we know God? And how do we get to be with him? Jesus' own answer to that question time and again through John's Gospel is incredibly stark. It's through me, he says. Through me. We've seen today his claim to be the light of the world. It's by following him through the wilderness of this present age that we get to enjoy the promised land above. It's through him being lifted up on the cross that he dies our death for our sins so that we can enjoy the life that comes through him alone. And so what do we need to do? We need to believe and follow him. Now it may well be that there are some among us or maybe listening in on the live stream who have not yet believed in Jesus. Like our visitor last week, maybe you would say, well, I believe that there is a God, but I'm sceptical about the claims of Jesus. Can I urge you, if that's you, to test the claims of Jesus Christ for yourself? The claims he makes about himself are bigger and bolder than any sensible human being has ever made. The claims of madmen don't stand up for five minutes. But the claims of Jesus Christ have stood the test 
for 2,000 years and more. There's abundant evidence for them offered in the Gospels and we're commending them to you today. Will you test the claims of Jesus Christ? I'd love you to join me on that little Christianity Explored course over the next few Thursday evenings. You don't have to say anything. In fact, sometimes people just join in online, keep their cameras off and just listen in in the background. You can do that if you want to. Or you can come and throw your hardest questions at us. But will you take a good hard look at Jesus? I think that like me, when I looked at all of this as a sceptical 19-year-old, you'll be astonished to find that there's much more substance and credibility to Jesus than you might assume. But John's Gospel isn't just a sort of evangelistic tract. It's not just for those who don't yet believe. Through Jesus' big, bold claims of John's Gospel, he's pushing those of us who do seem to believe. And he's saying, in effect, but do you really believe? He doesn't want us just to say, I believe there's a God and I'm happy to accept the Christian label on my version of theism. Nor does he want us to say, I accept Jesus' sacrifice as the simple means of getting to God in heaven and that's it. No, he wants to keep pushing us to develop and deepen our faith. Just as he keeps talking about his relationship with his father, he wants to draw us into that privileged, personal, committed relationship. He wants us to have what we might call a, a full fat belief in him. We're going to see more of this next week. Let me just give you a little teaser. When he says in verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. A more literal translation would be, if you do not believe that I am you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus wants us not just to have a thin faith in him as the one who happens to be the saviour. He wants us to know him as the great I am, the, the divine creator and rescuer. Is this Jesus the one we believe in? At the end of today's section, we see that even as he spoke, many believed in him. And yet next week, we see that Jesus spoke to the Jews who had believed in him, and he pushes them still further, challenging their view of him. And in fact, he pushes them so hard that by the end of the chapter, they're picking up stones to stone him. You see, he doesn't just settle for a simple profession of faith. Becoming a Christian starts with simple childlike trust in Jesus, but it doesn't stay there. He wants us to go on that journey through the wilderness of deepening belief and appreciation and following, realising all that he is as God the Son in the most intimate relationship with the Father, the great I am. Are you up for that journey? Come back next week for more. Let me read verse 24 again and pray. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, 
If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Our Father God, thank you for sending your Son who was with you from before the beginning and who has returned to be with you now. Father, we long to be with you, to know you as Jesus knows you. Please teach us to believe in him, to be relieved of our sins, to find the light of life and to enjoy eternity in blessed relationship with you forever.